how much longer is Richard Mill? How do you say it? Richard Mill Millay? How do you? I need to figure out. Clearly, it. neither of us. Are. Hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me, let me actually look up the pronunciation. You could basically be like, "How much longer, for real?" Is like Richard Milla going to continue to give half a million dollar watches to drivers? Like a one point five million dollar like theft is like a pretty big write off on your financial <laughs> statements, right? Like, is that how much his watch was? Well, Charles, Charles, I'm talking about like combined because Lando also had a Richard Mill on. Mill, I think. Richard Mill. I think so. I don't know why I was saying Mill. Let me see. Hold on. Get that Google check to read it off for you. I'm I'm watching a YouTube video on how to pronounce <laughs> Richard Mill. <laughs> Richard Mill. How long is this video? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Pronunciation videos here on YouTube, and we are looking at how to pronounce the name of this famous luxury Swiss watchmaker and car racing team, Richard Mille. Mille. Yes. Richard Mille. Richard Mille. To be fair, I don't see anybody stealing Max's tag. Lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it. Stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George. Try and straight line it. Get to the line, and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton. Oh, oh, oh. goes straight on. This is quite appalling. This is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. What is going on here in Jeddah Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Unqualified. I am Graham. I am joined by my fearless co-host, Gerald. Gerald, we got a lot to get through. We had a great, great weekend in the Imola countryside. The Ferrari tears flowed like Tuscany wine. Uh, Personally, my biggest question leaving the weekend is wondering how long it's going to be until F1 social media takes Lewis off of all of their promotional graphics. But, uh, But enough of that. What were your takeaways from the weekend? What stuck out to you? Well, before we delve into the uh, all the negative notes that I'm sure are going to come out through the rest of the podcast, <laughs> I guess we could start on a high note. Uh, <laughs> overall, it, I thought it was a great weekend. I love a rain weekend, especially more when it's not nonstop rain um, or overly hard. And I mean, this weekend had it all from a, a full rain P1 to a constantly changing qualifying where... Q1 was wet, but not raining. Q2, the rain picked up. Q3, the rain stopped and was drying to a dry sprint to a race that started in the rain. I mean, it had everything. Being a sprint weekend, nobody found their footing really the whole time. So I thought you really got to see the drivers and the teams put to the test and and the best ones rose to the top, I think. So it was a, it was a great weekend to watch. How about you? What was your What was your feel on the weekend? I'm a big fan of wet weather races for sure. I also think that um, maybe Imola doesn't get enough credit because it's not been like, this is only the third year in a row, right? Previous to this, previous to COVID, I think Michael Schumacher was the most recent winner in Imola. So it had been a, you know, 15 year gap since they'd been there. And I think the consensus around it was that it was a track that was mostly kind of out of date, a little bit narrow. Um, But I think Imola is great. Uh, And I think the main reason is because there's, like drivers are penalized for going off track almost everywhere on almost every turn exit, whether it's gravel or grass, that's going to spin them around. And um, I think it makes for like 
despite there not being like close walls, really low margin racing. Uh, you know, overtaking's not easy, but it's not impossible, especially with the new car. So I could see a track like this, like really kind of becoming a little bit of like a darling, especially as the cars kind of evolve in the direction that they're evolving. I, I really, I mean, rain for sure was a part of it, but I, I like Emola a lot. I think it's got a lot of character. Yeah. I mean, I think where it's situated, it seems to get more, more interesting rain than a lot of other tracks. And I would agree with you. I mean, I, so far in the recent last three years, it's yielded some of the most exciting weekends. And, yep. and, and I agree with the the point around like the punishment, you get punished going around the track, but it's also savable, right? Yep. So you, you might get stranded in the gravel, but plenty of drivers also found their way off track and back on. And so it, it adds to the, like the, how dynamic the weekend is, but it doesn't totally put people out of contention either. So it's, it's a nice balance. So I want to tee up a debate that I think we're likely going to have probably throughout most of this year. And F1 is obviously having in its own headquarters, which is what do we think about sprint races, right? We're on year two last year. We had what, four of them, three of them, four of them, three, three. Uh, we're doing three more this year. They've tweaked a few things about the format, but overall, it's still pretty similar, right? The idea is that you expand the weekend, you do qualifying on Friday, you have a shortened quarter-length race on Saturday, Grand Prix on Sunday. What are your thoughts? Pros, cons, sprint races. If you were the governing body of Formula One today, which way would you cast your vote in terms of increasing or decreasing their role in the overall calendar? Yeah, overall, I mean, my general position is I'm against the the sprint weekends um especially in this era with the cost cap the risk is too high for this middle of the weekend race both from a cost perspective from the teams having to put the car back together in a really short order and i also feel like it it really uh penalizes drivers who do a great job or outdrive their own their car in qualifying only to lose spots in the sprint race that they could have fought for instead in the actual race. And so I think you got a lot of settling on the grid in the sprint race and actually detracts from the race overall. But I thought this weekend, because of how uh, changeable the conditions were, it led to this like great ebb and flow. The fact that the sprint race was on a dry conditions and then it went back to wet for the race, I still think allowed it to have some variability. But in other weekends... You probably wouldn't have had that variability. The race would have been more boring. Um, I think also because of the newness of these cars, while practice might not be the most exciting thing for people, it seems really critical to learn and start to actually develop these cars. And so the time lost there, um, you know, I think doesn't do really any of the team's favors and, and can help the teams that are sort of at an inherent advantage, I think. What about you? Well, I, I certainly don't think we can do away with this notion of having a, a, fr a format one day of the weekend where the like the single fastest lap wins because it 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 pulls on a different type of driver skill, right? To just take the maximum risk level possible in one single lap, you may not have to do that at any point over an entire Grand Prix. So that in and of itself can't go away. I'm sympathetic to F1's position because they obviously want to expand the level of engagement across number of days and like drive sponsorship revenue. But to me, I think that a sprint, like I love wet qualifyings because I think it's, I think I've said this before. It's like the ultimate test of driver skill. And it also shuffles the order, right. And kind of like dampens the uh, disparity between car performance. And it's just more on the driver. 
But when you have that type of qualifying, having a dry sprint between that and the actual Grand Prix is like the perfect thing to undo all of the chaos that the qualifying session generated and then basically reorder the grid to the appropriate order based on car performance and just cause a bunch of DRS trains in the Grand Prix. So like the sprint race was thrilling, right, for the first like 10 laps. And to me, that's like, well, I would rather see that in the Grand Prix where the consequences of people making those moves are not finishing the Grand Prix, right? Not a sprint race. Um, So I get what F1's trying to do. I think there's probably more creative ways to solve for it where you could stretch out time-based qualifying over multiple days potentially without having to basically recreate the structure of a race. Because I I think the notion of people like truly pushing for the fastest single lap is in and of itself like really entertaining. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, oftentimes the the qualifying can be far more exciting than the race in a shorter yeah. window at times. And so it's almost like, well, I might as well just watch qualifying and, and then be done. But I mean, just to recap, right? Q1, you know, you had Perez, Hamilton and Russell all sitting at the bottom of the, the order with like five minutes left. And even, you know, at the end of it, it was like the last minute of qualifying where Gasly and Sonoda fell below the line because so many drivers moved up and seven drivers were within a 10th of a a second in terms of who would make it into Q2. And so like, it's literally down to the smallest slivers of a second and that one lap as to whether you're relegated to the back of the grid or not. And then, you know, in Q2, the pressure on the drivers with the rain picking up, you basically had one lap, your first lap out in Q2 to set your time. And then signs ended up getting a crash and and red flagging and, and then going into worse weather. And so there it was, hypercritical that you get the one lap straight away. And then in Q3, you had this sort of on again, off again with Magnuson and and Norris going off track and crashing. And so you had to find the right window and put down the lap. And so, I mean, yeah, the, the timing, the strategy that goes into that, the level of execution all kind of goes out the window and you think, ah, well, if I, if I just get into Q1 or Q3, get seventh or eighth, I can make up for it like signs did in in the sprint which yeah then kind of diminishes both the value of qualifying and the race so i did hear charles seemed to a lot of the drivers seemed to like the excitement of the weekend though and Shaw threw out an mm-hmm. idea of having there be sort of a separate and distinct shorter race on saturday but have it be removed from the qualifying and the grand prix and so kind of remove its like impact different on car setup entire like have a different car setup even potentially yeah i mean like you have qualifying you have your race and then on saturday you do something else right so you get into qualifying quicker you have some action on saturday and then you have the race but don't let the sprint like dictate the order or anything like that for the race you have qualifying you have race do a, a short race on saturday but yeah have it be agnostic of like the rest of the weekend you know what would be really cool is if they could find a way to in this sprint race format find a way to basically uh, pull in like lower formulas, but put people in, mm. and I don't know how you'd make this work with the cost cap, but put people in basically F1 quality cars. And so it'd be a way of expanding kind of the tent of known drivers in F1 and also like promoting, teams can promote their own driver development programs. And so you pull people in and it's like, you know, the reason people haven't heard of Liam Lawson, right, is either because they don't follow the F1 driver development program, they don't watch F2, but if he and they don't, you know, follow practice sessions at no name races or in testing when he randomly gets behind the car for five laps. But like if you pulled up, you know, 
a bunch of people out of Formula 2 and kind of combined them and had kind of this, like, to your point, no impact on the championship, but potentially on the driver's championship, but potentially some other type of reward at play. That could be really entertaining. Um, But I agree. I don't think the sprint race needs to have – the Grand Prix is the dictator of who should win the Constructors' Championship and who should win the Drivers' Championship. I think it should stay that way. Um, Can we talk about – why I now view Ferrari fans as the new Dallas Cowboys of Formula One. Happily, please step into this firestorm. I can't stand Italian me- Italian race media. And maybe maybe they were worse because they haven't qualified for the World Cup and that country is truly hopeless and they just really, this was like the last thing they had to hold on to. But they're allocation of emotion and rationality as a sports fan base is so out of balance. It is unbelievable. I literally, like, out of personal satisfaction, pulled up that meme of the five-year-old Ferrari fan crying in the stands and just stared at it for like an hour after the race on Sunday. I <laughs> I, the, I am put, putting a stake in the ground. It's not about Charles. It's not about Carlos. i I think they're fine as individuals, but that fan base is absolutely entire. It's not even about the car brand. Ferrari is like the best car you can buy, but the fans, man, it is bad. First off, where are you getting so much exposure to Italian media sources? I'll tell you what's really made me bitter is one of my friends from home. He got into F1 a year ago and he was a McLaren fan. And then as soon as the wind changed, he jumped on the Ferrari bandwagon and and just, it just pisses me off. Because it was so, it's too convenient for him. I'm not going to name him. Who's who has a worse fan base? Is it Ferrari or or Mercedes? Well, you and I are both going to get shot for having that asking that question because everybody knows where our loyalties lie. So I almost don't want to answer it because it'll make us too predictable. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually uh, I, I think that Lewis fans get a little bit look like anything. When you're great, you're going to have the bandwagon comes along with you no matter what you do. Uh, so. Uh, I, I actually have a fair amount of respect for the uh, for the Mercedes fan base. So you can only take fire from one massive team audience at a week at a time, huh? Yeah, look, if I'm going to rank order the fan bases of F1, like the Italian and the French are going to be near the bottom. I'm just going to tell you that. Like, <laughs> just go ahead. Like, that's my, that's my personal framework. Yeah. All right. Nice. <clears throat> uh, all right. Before we go through... Uh, the weekend by teams. Any hate you'd like to throw at the FIA this week? Just go ahead and get out there before <laughs> before we actually get into the race. Oh well, plenty, but uh, I, I wasn't sure if we wanted to spend some time here or not. I mean, I think um, I always have some some cl- complaints against the authority figures. Um, in this case, it seems kind of a build on the prior week. It, it seems like they are being far more conservative this year than they have been in times past. I think, in particular. It felt like in qualifying, the fact that we had four red flags, they were throwing flags in particular when someone was on the track still moving and very quickly like cleared themselves away. So I guess it makes sense in terms of maybe where it was happening on the track and the conditions, but it just seems like they've been very, very strict going forward um, and at least in practice and qualifying. But there again, I think in races, they've been pretty non-existent. And so it, it seems like they're striking a right balance when it matters. So I don't know. I, I didn't think it was going to end up here, but I'll actually give them some props on 
they have been non-issues on on race weekend or during races, which has been nice. Do you not think they should have opened up the DRS zone or DRS uh, yeah zones quicker in the race than they did? I mean, it took them like what 34, 35 laps. Well, what was the what do you think was ultimately the reason for not doing it sooner? Well, they probably felt like they probably felt there wasn't a dry line that made it safe for overtaking on the straight, but. I mean, for literally 20 laps leading up to that, guys had been deliberately driving off the racing line to get water on their intermediate tires to cool them down. So, like, I don't, I don't really, I don't really see the logic. And I also think that, like, at the end of the day, it's not for the FIA to govern telling drivers where and like where the safe driving lines are on the track. Like at the end of the day, you're a driver. You're supposed to be in the car and discern like where should I put the car and where should I not? Where am I going to lose grip? Where am I not? And I, I would find it unlikely that it would be unsafe on a straightaway to go off the racing line unless there were like close to standing water. So it did, and and I think had they enabled it 15 laps sooner, it would have materially changed the outcome of the race potentially. Well, I, th- I think the main problem is you just get a, a potential, um, uh, you get a, a Russell. Botas situation on what is a relatively narrow. That'd have been great. (laughs) I think they probably bias towards like, let's avoid the easy accidents, right? A lot of times where drivers are picking up moisture on their tires, right? They're either all alone or it's when they've already sort of slowed down in a braking zone. So could they have done it sooner? Yeah, probably. Was it a little over conservative? Yeah, probably. But I, I guess it's better that than having the race shut down on lap 20, you know, with a red flag because somebody bins it trying to pass with DRS. So, well, the FIA is going to be sending some emails to sky sports this week. Cause those guys, I don't remember who it was. It might've been Brundle on the commentating booth or, uh, Paul Duresta. Maybe I can't remember, but they, those guys got clued in on it like 15 laps into the race and wouldn't let it go. Like wouldn't let it go. So. Well, and then it had to, and maybe we're jumping ahead here, but then it, of course, it had to be used as like a rationale for why Hamilton was in the position he was in, right? So, um, oh, you know, if only DRS, excuse. if only DRS had been open sooner. I'm not, I'm not making excuses for Hamilton, so we'll get to that later, though. <laughs> All right, let's get down the order. So, um, as we are accustomed to, we start at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, Williams, nobody in the points this week. Albon in eleventh, though. Uh, which was a significant improvement based on where it was in quality. Latifi is irrelevant as usual. Uh, not a ton to break down here, but any any thoughts from you, Joe? I mean, yeah, it's uh, the Williams spent one glorious week uh, out of the bottom as as Albon got points and and Aston Martin didn't. Um, but unfortunately, one week later, they're they're relegated to the bottom after a, a, a relatively good Aston Martin weekend. So. Um, yeah, overall, I mean, Albon looked looked amazing. Almost got into the points for two races in a row, um, and Albon basically cleared the two DNF cars and the two cars that were involved in those accidents, and no one else. So, um, you know, pretty pretty good from that. Like, he basically did what was expected of him, um, and and no more. But other than that, not a lot on not a lot on Williams. Did you see that photo that F one posted of all the principals out to dinner like on Thursday night in? Emma, Yost Capito to me looked like the little brother in the room that like nobody directed a question or comment towards him the entire night at dinner. And he just kind of sat there silently sipping his wine. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here. 
uh, I'm not really optimistic about their upward trajectory, but Albon seems to be outperforming. So uh, we'll see if they can get on it. I mean, I, I kind of disagree with you there. I, I, I'm surprisingly optimistic, at least on the, the Albon half of the garage. I mean, two weeks in a row, a 10th and an 11th. I mean, that's, that's a lot to write home about for that team. So I, I, I guess my question is when you think of valuation, right? Like a team in the somewhere in the midfield or a team in pure like last place, there has to be a significant like enterprise value difference between those two things. And so if Latifi is the reason that you're not a solid midfield team, can you rationalize him as a carry anymore? I actually think that's a great point. I look, if they picked up, if they, if they just jettisoned Latifi, God willing, uh, like on Tuesday tomorrow and picked up any, like any of the top performers in F2 gave him a couple of races to get that under, get it under him. Yeah, I think that they probably could, you know, lift themselves, what? They could probably beat two or three teams and constructors optimistically based on the car they have today if they get the strategy right. Seems that way. So, yeah, I mean, at least, pretty, they'd, at least they'd be healthily in the mix, right? Yeah. Um, whereas now you you maybe have one driver in the mix and that's it. Um, yeah. But there is some, some whispers that that might be Oscar Piastri's drive for, for next year. So... So we'll see. It'll be it'll be interesting. Specifically for Latifi, I mean that would make sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, for Latifi. Yeah. Well, who's Oscar Piastri's Mercedes guy, right? Or is that Nick DeVries, no. Toto's guy? I think DeVries Piastri is a an Alpine driver. Oh, good. All right. So I don't want Mer- he's... the Mercedes power apparatus expanding further no, no. across F one. So yeah, yeah, we need to keep the borders up. Um... <laughs> Oh yeah, and and as by the by, it sounds that Alonso's not going anywhere for the next decade if he has his say about it. So Piastri needs to find some some alternative. Unless he can't keep his road bike on the road this off season, then he then he. <laughs> Fair, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Aston Martin. We could probably touch on him quick. We spent about two hours on him last week, which don't get me wrong was was good fun, but there's a whole <laughs> lot less to pick on and thus less to talk about. So yeah. Takeaways, they were actually both in the points, miraculously. Yeah, I mean, Stroll barely snuck in there during the race. I mean, through qualifying in the sprint, he was down there in, in 15. Um, and with, you know, with enough DNFs and and drivers getting in crashes, there's there's a, clearly a path to the points for Stroll. But, um, you know, and Vettel finishing, finishing up there as well. But other than that, I mean, not a lot to to write home about him, but I know you had some, some views on uh stroll and, and inspector Seb making another appearance this weekend. Inspector Seb is, is something that needs to get more traction on the internet. That man literally went down the entire parked grid and park Ferme and stared up the skirts of those cars. Like he was at a freaking miss America competition. I mean, it like, I mean, in some of them, he went back, like somebody put like a time-lapse video and I guess they had a camera that was posted at the end of the grid. And he's like, literally like he would walk up and kind of bend over and you look and then you look again and then you go up to the next one. And he kind of look again. And I'm sitting here thinking like, okay, one, this is funny, but two, I have some serious questions. Like Max got a $10,000 fine for touching Lewis's rear wing in park Ferme, And yet like you can just walk up and down the grid and basically examine cars, like to whatever extent you please. I, there's <laughs> just gotta be some rules built around this. Like, I don't know. I think it's a bit, I think it's a bit odd, and I guess he just doesn't care because he's Seb, but 
Nobody else is doing it. Well, so so with Max, you know, that was obviously touching, whereas Vettel was just looking. So like those establishments that you like to frequent, you can look, but you can't touch, you know? Maybe that, maybe, I bet that's exactly <laughs> how that bylaw is phrased, yeah. Exactly. But, yep. but it is interesting because Vettel, you get these glimpses of like, or, or, or it seems in general, he kind of has this waning excitement for the sport, right? A little bit more apathetic, it seems like. But then when it comes to the weekend and, and everything about the cars and, and looking at like the fine details, he gets, seems to get so excited again. So it's tough to pin down where, where Seb's head is actually at at any given point in time. But yeah, I love the, the childlike wonder that, that he exudes when he's inspecting his rivals. I don't know where his head's at, but the, the uh, hair plugs were a great decision. So love to see that. So wait, does the, does the FIA not care? Um, because they know Aston's at the bottom? Yeah, for sure. They definitely don't care because they know Aston can't do anything with any of the information that Seb gets from anyone else's car. <laughs> if it were another team that actually had some engineering prowess, they probably would take a second look. All right. Uh, Haas. Obviously, K-Mag seems to be building a bit of a reputation for a wet-weather qualifier. Uh, McSchumacher seems like he's kind of driving on ice and it's been going on for a little while maybe some worries there net net Haas is still better than I think anyone expected but what were your what were your thoughts G yeah absolutely I mean ninth and 17th so not great for Mick but I mean K-Mag putting it in the points again that in and of itself was was far off where you know a lot of people would have put them other than you know the folks that were fully convicted based on the the Ferrari power but um yeah, Magnussen qualified fourth, dropped to eighth in the sprint race, and then only dropped one more spot in the actual race. Um, you know, unfortunately, he's got kind of the classic case of great qualifying, lost it in the sprint, and basically finished same spot in the race. Um, but, I mean, Mick, you, look, everyone will has positive opinions of Mick. Everybody, you know, smiles. They say he's a great person, great teammate, et cetera, great name. But... Looking at the performance, I mean, this is his second year, and I haven't seen him do anything to have a notable performance, not a notable practice session, not a noticeable qualifying, not a notable uh, performance, even a battle in a race. And so, I mean, how long can, can Mick get a pass here before he starts getting scrutiny like anyone else? I think he needs to get a little bit mean. I think he's too, he might be too nice, you know? Mm. He's like the he's like. Have you seen the movie Dodgeball? Yes. He he's like the the fat nerd old man on the team who's got the Asian wife who cheats on him in the stands, and he and he sucks otherwise. But then when he gets mad, he just turns into an absolute assassin. I think if you could get Mick Schumacher mad, he's like he's got he's got it. In, like he seems to have it in him. Like he's capable of being a good driver. I just think he's maybe like. Too, he's just too nice to the. I don't know if it's too nice to the, the drivers, too nice to the track, too nice to the fans behind the barrier. I don't know what it is, but I feel like if he would just get a little bit mad, he might be, like, he might be okay. But I think his time is definitely like people are going to start asking questions, and he'll get more grace than others because of his last name. But he's not going to get like a blank check. So, uh, I I just love how we had to go back to some like random mid early 2000s movie reference how long have you been holding on to that one i don't know dodgeball is a great movie i don't think you should be surprised by that at all 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so is that a is that a, a this year problem? Like, is he on that big of the hot seat that if he doesn't start to show something, he's gone after this year? Or do you think he undoubtedly has a, a another session after this? Look, he's got a. I mean, we'll see how many DNFs he has this year and whether he can get on Magnuson's pace. But it's a little bit telling, right? That like you finally have a decent compare. Also, wait a minute. What does this really say? How bad was Mazepin? Is what this <laughs> like is further highlighting. I mean, holy hell, man! If Mick, if Mick really isn't good and Mazepin, oh, how bad do you have to be? Because I don't think anything. If you A/B test the small sample we have from this season to what Mick was last year, nothing has changed. But yet, this year's Mick looks significantly worse, and it's not because of him. <laughs> it's because of Mazepin. So, yeah, I mean, look. This isn't going to be his last year in Formula One, I don't think, unless he does something colossally bad. But if for, let me put it this way. If Ferrari is considering him to be the successor to Carlos Sainz and he can't even come close to beating Kevin Magnussen this year, I don't find it likely that they're going to be betting on him as an option in the future anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just shocking because in Magnussen's last year, yes, that Haas was, was a terrible ride, but nobody was – you look at that – performance all year and there was no point where you're like wow you know the car is not good but magnuson's really crushing it right like right it, it, yeah. it, there was poor performances across the board and so to have him now stepping in and seemingly doing a tremendous job yes yeah, you have to raise some it, it's sort of unfortunate for mick to have that as his as his foil comparison you know you almost would wish it was like another world champion driver and you're like oh well you know he's a two-time world champion like what do you expect but I also think this is probably a bigger, further illustrating like the the stigma that Mick has of sort of being slow to a- adapt to a car. And so, That's you know, he had one that, year man. in an old car. He's got a first year in a new car. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, everybody's on a level playing field. So yeah, everybody's on a level playing field. I'm sorry. Like we don't have, you know, ramp up years built into F1 contracts. Like <laughs> that's just the way it is. And yeah, I mean, Max won his first race as an F1 driver on on the Red Bull team. He literally won his first race. And it wasn't because 10 cars crashed out. It was because two Mercedes came together in Barcelona, and he stepped in and was genuinely the next fastest driver in his first race in a Red Bull. Like, when that's the standard, I'm not saying that's normal, but, like, that's the high watermark. I don't know. What he's doing on his second year just doesn't look doesn't look great. And I trust me, I, I want him to succeed. I really do. But Well, and the other comparison is with, with Yuki. Right, I mean yeah. him and Sonoda, both second year, both cars that are sort of him up and, and Sonoda. Down. Are they two separate people? <laughs> Yuki they... and Sonoda, are they? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It depends. Listen to the like radio. It sounds like su- sushi restaurant. <laughs> Listening to the radio, it seems like they're two separate people at times. But, That's true. He has a bit I mean, of a Jekyll and a Hyde. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you look at him, and I mean, second year as well, first year in this car, like. But he's putting it in front of Magnuson. Um, and so, you know, well, side by side, Yuki has a leg up in that comparison. So I, I'm just not sure where the the points for Mick really are. Dude, well, let's use that as a transition to Alpha. Because, look, I mean, Sonoda and Gasly, they qualify basically the same spot, 16th and 17th. But then from Sprint to Grand Prix, Sonoda goes 16th, 12th to 7th. Gasly goes 17th, 17th, 12th. And I, so... Seemingly, I didn't. I don't. I didn't hear of mechanical issues across either of them. I think it was a second in a row, kind of a clean weekend mechanically for 
for Alpha. So yeah, any thoughts on the relative performance of Sonoda to Gasly? Yeah, I mean, I didn't follow their driver cams too much throughout the race, but I mean, I, I think Sonoda just capitalized on all the advantages that he had, right? He, he had an opportunity to move up a little bit um, in the sprint race um, and then similarly capitalized on the, the both of the early crashes. And I think because of the five spots that he was up on Gasly, he was close enough to the front of the pack to be able to to actually capitalize on on those issues, whereas as Gasly was just sort of still um, still following in the train, and I think Gasly just got unfortunate getting getting caught up in that DRS train. But yeah, he just seemed to have a really tough time making any kind of passes. So he he complained about the car a lot. He wasn't caught in a DRS train. Albon didn't have DRS for like the last thirty laps. Albon yeah, was- yeah, with Albon. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, Gasly he. He had every possible tool in his toolkit to get around Albon, and he couldn't. And meanwhile, his teammate is further up the road flying around people. So I, that one, I, he, I, to me, had a relatively unimpressive weekend. And maybe Gasly just didn't like the balance in the car. I mean, it's tough to just say after one weekend that Sonoda's got the upper hand on him. But if, if Gasly is nothing else, he's generally consistent. I think that's that was true of him through most of the last year. He's always that guy that kind of hovers between fifth and tenth and never seems to really make massive errors or, you know, he takes advantage of the easy opportunities in front of him. But, man, he just – he didn't seem to have anything in the tank. Yeah, I, I just think um, – and it, it's interesting because I feel like while Sonoda f- suffered some, like, very clear – obvious like mechanical issues Gasly's sort of been plagued by by everything he had some mechanical issues he had some errors on track he's had some issues like yeah um rubbing yeah, others right race. i think yes yeah not in this race in particular but in this case it was just sort of like you could potentially chalk it up to to strategy or issues in the sprint race right like because largely the sprint race came down to the contact that he made with joe right on that early turn. And so that sort of destined him for the back there. It's just been a weird mix of things for, for him this year. And I guess it's, it's largely surprising given the stellar year that he had. Yeah. It's just kind of unclear why he hasn't been able to put it together. Cause he's consistently had bad like practice sessions. Like there's been no points where he's really putting it at the top of the times other than some select practice sessions here or there. But yeah, he's got to pull it together quick. All right. Uh, can I just request that we skip Alpine? I well, and I'll yeah. So I'll, well, hang on. But before we go forward, just on Alphatari, real quick. I mean, we're talking about Gasly and the and the struggles that he's having. Let's say he he from this point forward has an amazing season on form with the likes that he had last year. You know, regularly sixth, seventh, eighth place. Does he? have a shot at Red Bull still, or is that door quickly closing with the performances of Perez next year? No, I think it's really hard to believe how Perez is going to lose that seat. I mean, I just, it's not trending that way. He, this car seems to suit him. Uh, the gap between him and Max is now exactly where they'd want it. I mean, geez, if Perez hadn't run through the grass, when he was kind of stretching it from Leclerc, he would have stayed within a 10 second window of Max. He's inside Max's pit window, right? Uh, I can't see unless he retires, which why would you right at the top of your game winning trophies? So 
no, I don't think that seat's going to be open to Gasly. And, and, and you know, I think we got to be open to the possibility that Sonoda matches or beats his relative performance by the end of the year. And then, you know, you look at a scenario, you know, when Danny Rick goes to IndyCar, who's going to take the McLaren seat? Well, maybe Gasly. I don't know. I, I love how this is <laughs> – I love how Ricardo t- <laughs> is just a foregone conclusion for you. 100%. It's not even a debatable topic. Anymore. I told you. I told you how much cereal he would sell in the United States. There's no way that 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 Kellogg's is going to pass that opportunity up. So, but you're right. This is sort of a worst case scenario too for Gasly because worst case like, he has no out. Sure, like the Perez thing is one thing, but yeah, if he doesn't even beat Sonoda in other people's eyes, well, now he's not even the first driver to get pick of a new of a new another team. He is the perfect example of nothing to gain, everything to lose. Yep. Right yep. now, if any driver. And I, I sympathize with him because at different times last year, he earned more than he has in terms of the quality of the car and the opportunity. Yeah. But that's just the nature of Formula One, man. Sometimes it's a dice roll. There's politics involved. And sometimes the timing's just bad. You don't get an opportunity. But, you know, if I'm going to pick him and Perez as driver personalities and get to pick which one of them gets kind of a lucky but timely opportunity to join a top team, I'm taking Perez every time, right? Like, yeah. So, anyway. All right, can we skip Alpine? I, I love to not have to talk about Ocon. I don't think anything eventful happened here. Do you have any thoughts on them? No, nothing on Ocon. Uh, he just seems to be going along to get along, just kind of doing his thing. Uh, me- get along. Meanwhile, Alonso is you know qualifying fifth. Big uh, fan. Little unfortunate in the in the sprint, dropped to ninth, and then DNF'd in the race with some some side pod contact. Um, with with Mick Schumacher, so I mean the poor guy, uh, just bad luck after bad luck. Hopefully, like other drivers are emerging from their streaks of bad luck. Um, hoping he's on his way out at one of these weekends. I the radio message that Alonzo had to the team after Mick hit him when he was like, "Is the damage bad?" And then the immediate <laughs> next shot that Sky Sports showed was literally the side of his engine. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah the damage is bad bro like you're probably gonna have to come in yeah you maybe we're gonna need to do some work here but man what a just savvy driving man just savvy hard-nosed driving that guy probably loves the rain um i would love nothing more than to see him put a gap on ocon in terms of relative performance through the rest of the year i would i would love that just to see it's just like the flame that never never uh goes out man i love it well, and there was some there was some uh, reporting around like quotes of his as to whether or not, you know, what's what does retirement look like for him? And long story short, of it was, you know, as long as I keep beating the driver next to me, I don't see a reason why why I need to go anywhere. So a little bit of a, you know, he said it nicer than that. But reading between the lines, it is a little bit of a, you know, as Ocon, you can't help but look at that as a bit of a gauntlet throwdown. Dude, what if Lewis gets so chapped about the season at Merck that he retires and Mercedes grabs Alonzo for like a resurgence year? Oh, I would immediately become a Mercedes fan. Not, not like as my primary team, but man, that would get me so excited. Oh. The anyway. fantasies that you're able to craft, it's, it's quite impressive. We can all dream. All right, let's go to Alpha maybe quickly. Botas is kind of having a little bit of a ghastly year from last year, you know, like I, I, I'm, I love to see it. I was happy to see him running down Russell at the end. That seemed like poetic justice based on the last time they were at Imola and Russell literally tried to rip a hole open in his survival cell <laughs> uh, from the side. Uh, uh, and then Zoe, you know, 
I, I'll be honest, I didn't really notice him, but I don't think he did anything particularly poorly. So, yeah, thoughts on Alpha? Yeah, I mean, Joe was you know, kind of hovering in that 15th spot that he's been sitting in in a lot of like practices and qualifying and then just got unlucky with the the contact with Gasly. And, and I would largely put that to Joe. I think he probably closed the door a bit more. So, honestly, his first like mistake, really, um, you know, sizable mistake, of the season. And so I, you know, got to put it into context first year. Yeah. Not great, but um, you know, I, I think doesn't detract too much from his overall season, but yeah, I mean, Botas, you love to see every moment that, that they can sort of stoke of contra- uh, conflict with Mercedes, right? Like anytime he's out qualifying a Mercedes, anytime he's about to like pass a Mercedes. Uh, so I'm sure, I'm sure Netflix will be able to contrive all sorts of drama and, and unspoken narratives uh, with that for, for next season. Uh, yeah. As long as it doesn't open with a scene staring at Botas's bare ass, then I'm fine. With but I mean, yeah, Botas got screwed with still, it doesn't matter like what team Botas goes to. The guy cannot seem to catch a break. Oh, with the luck. pit, the pit crew, man. I thought they had machined another will nut on oh, there for a yeah, second. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. So he, I don't know if there's something in like how he drives or what it is, but man, the, the bad luck that he has relative to teammates is truly impressive. So glad he was still able to come out with a fifth place there. Uh, all right, McLaren. And I'd be honest with you. I wanted to skip over this one cause I don't want to have to talk about it relative to my takes from last week, <laughs> promising their demise. Alas, Lando stands on the podium victorious. Uh, obviously Ferrari's woes put him there, but you got to give a guy credit for keeping it on the track. With a car that's still a little swervy in bad conditions, Ricardo, you know, was set up pretty well, could have had a good day, probably grabbed some points from the team, blew it over a curb, and took Carlos out. What are your thoughts on on McLaren this weekend? Yeah, I'm a McLaren fan just for the fact that it makes you have to eat your words week in and week out. So I'm hoping the best for them, truly. Um, and, and they both looked solid throughout the entire weekend, right? It wasn't yeah. it wasn't really a tale of two of two drivers this weekend. I mean, they were third and sixth in qualifying, fifth and sixth in the sprint. And then Ricardo just got a little out of sorts on, on sort of that turn one incident and went wide and, and crashed into signs and effectively ruined both of their ruin both of their races. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Norris getting a little bit lucky with the, the Leclerc spin out, but overall great weekend for, for him. And I would say largely for Ricardo as well, despite no points, he, I think he had a good like credibility building weekend and, and should feel good about where he's, where he's at. So IndyCar might have to wait. I'm going to deflect any additional comments on McLaren. Cause I'd like to not own that and just say, how bad does this make Mercedes look? that a customer team of their power units who couldn't keep their brakes from catching on fire at preseason testing has already outdeveloped them to this point in the season. I, look, Mer- McLaren was not preaching like an optimistic outlook of how quickly they were going to improve the performance of the car, and they have already gotten themselves firmly back in the points, arguably in the top five, depending on how the rest of the grid shakes out on a given weekend. Like, Nothing but respect, but also, like, Mercedes, what are you doing? Like, how wrong did you get the era philosophy of this car? That it is, like, that you have not even made the marginal gains of McLaren, who was arguably in a worse place than you at the beginning of the year with the same power unit. It's kind of wild. 
Well, it's still unclear to me as to how McLaren has has made that big of a difference. And it's hard to say it's because both these tracks suit them in a certain way. Like that whole no, narrative very is, different. is still, yeah. yeah, very different. But they, when you listen to them, they also haven't done a lot to, no. to warrant that. And so, yeah, you have to wonder if, if teams that have been holding off making the changes were doing so unnecessarily or, you know, as, as it comes now in the next couple weekends by Barcelona, for sure. Like, do you do you see the whole grid start to shake up as McLaren was so far behind they needed to do anything they could and maybe other teams have just been kind of waiting data collecting seeing how the first five or so shake out I don't know um but I I mean I it seemed like Lando was genuinely shocked by the fact that they were even capable like fifth would have surprised him he got lucky to get third well I say lucky fortunate to get third he seemed genuinely shocked to be up there yeah. Uh, and so I don't know what they did to the car. I mean, I know they put out up, you know, put in upgrades for the brake intakes, right? And so they fixed that problem. But I don't think they've done anything other significant changes to the arrow. So maybe they've just, I don't know, maybe they just figure out how to drive the damn thing. Like, I I have no idea, man. Um, but then again, I don't think we have perfect data on, like, car evolution, right? Like... I mean, what are we really working off of? Like what team principals will share with us and then like what a photographer can recognize in a picture of a car. I mean, that's not, you know. <laughs> yeah, Sam is like our primary on pit lane is our yes. primary like <laughs> avenue. And they give that guy like five minutes of FaceTime an episode. So He is pretty smart though. Yeah, Sam Collins. I, I like Sam Collins. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's the best part of the weekend. Um, all right, Mercedes. Uh, let's get to it. Maybe you should go first because I'm going to be pretty hard on Lewis here and – Maybe you won't be, so we can give a little bit of good cop, bad cop. But uh, Toto comes on the radio at the end of the race, apologizes to Lewis as if he's, you know, uh, I don't know, like done something wrong to one of Lewis's family members because the car is undrivable. But the relative performance gap is substantial. We all know about Mercedes' car was, but the relative performance gap between Russell and Hamilton is truly surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, look, both drivers struggled all weekend, um, but... Russell consistently in front of Hamilton by two to three places throughout qualifying and sprint. And so, you know, while Hamilton has started from further back and been able to close the gap, you know, in a couple of other races, like, or or even started in front and kind of lost it on, on track due to pitting. This one seemed start to finish all weekend decidedly in Russell's Russell's camp and, almost to an exaggerated degree during the race as well, just to put like a kind of a nail in the coffin, if you will. And so, I mean, yeah, great looking weekend from Russell. He seeing the start and how he played it like super cautiously, he sort of held back all the traffic behind him by sitting in the middle of the track and just waited for stuff in front of him to play out. So, I mean, genius start for him did, did pretty much everything right throughout the race. And, yeah, inexplicably, Hamilton just not able to get around Gasly, um, who, who to be fair, I guess, while Gasly wasn't in a DRS train, Hamilton was, made things tough, but it just seemed like he could not follow close enough at all. I mean, their, yeah, their package, their lack of downforce um, is, I think, really hurt them in any areas that they wanted to follow, and then they just didn't have enough on the 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 engine power side to to make up for it on the straights so um yeah it just 
not a great look for him. While you know, I try to make as many excuses as you can, you still would have thought Lewis would have been able to put on a pass or two to get into some some clean air, but he just couldn't do it. I don't think it's too early to start talking about, and nobody gave this any probability, including myself, going to the year, but start talking about a scenario where Lewis gets kind of like exterminated by a first-year driver coming into the seat, right? It happened to Schumacher. It happened to Alonzo when Hamilton joined McLaren. It happened to Vettel when Ricardo joined Red Bull. It happened to Vettel when, again, <laughs> when Charles joined Ferrari, right? Like, this stuff happens a lot, and it doesn't mean that that driver's past accomplishments are diminished in any way, shape, or form, but, like, changing of the guards are a thing in sports, and I, you know, we got a long season ahead of us, but I don't, I don't think it's too early to start wondering about if that's a possibility or not. Um, well, and while, you know, the unfortunate thing is while you say it doesn't take away from your past accomplishments in, in this particular case, as much emphasis there has been on like car performance relative to driver, right? Like he's been under such a microscope over the last seven or eight years that like it, it's undoubtedly going to taint it a little bit. And it's just unfortunate for him because yeah, the last, you know, if he were to have gone out last season with eight championships, you know, what is it as many wins as he has polls, you know, the win ratio is crazy. The, I think the percent that he's on like podiums over like 60% right now. I mean, he blows everyone else out of the water. Um, and those numbers are sure to drop this year as that car's not performing as well on the overall grid plus the side-by-side comparison to to Russell if he's decidedly better. I mean, yeah, it's sort of like you compare if he could have gone out last year versus hanging around. It, it's yeah, it, it's not going to it's not going to look the same way as it would have unfortunately for for him. I respect the the hell out of any athlete in any sport, including baseball and I hate baseball. Any athlete who is willing to retire on top. Well, you said athlete, so I excluded baseball right there. Well, that's fair. <laughs> That's actually a great point. One of the better ones you've made in a while. I I will give credit to anyone who retires on top. And I couldn't agree with your point more about Lewis. And in Formula One, even more than a lot of other sports, there are so many variables that drive your success that you do not control yeah. directly. And when you are that fortunate to rattle off seven straight world titles, almost get an eighth, <clears throat> not seven straight, but seven world titles, almost get an eighth. I mean, man. And then you got a young up and comer regulation change. You got nothing but headwinds, right? Coming into the next season, young up and comer regs change. Like I just obviously easier said than done for me. You know, the guy drinking beer, sitting in his chair that he's been in all freaking day, just you know the peanut gallery. But still, you got nothing to gain almost by not retiring on top. I know the argument is, well, how do you know where the top is, Graham? But like, come on, man. But if he won last year. He goes out. He retires, right? It would have been the smart thing to do because then yeah. you have the career record and you don't give an opportunity for your legacy to be diminished. I, but yeah. then again, I don't know if he would have. So, yeah, you. I'd like to think he would have, but at the same time, given that he didn't, he was almost in an impossible situation. He can't go out like that either, right? You're like, right. He can't have yeah, that be right. his last year. But yeah, you're now you're running into all of those headwinds, and so. It, you know, as a as a Max Verstappen and Red Bull fan, if I would have known 
if I could have said late last year that like Verstappen was definitely going to win the next year or sometime, you know, in the near future, I have to say I would have I would have been happy to have Hamilton win that championship, right? Because of the comeback that they had, because of just what that yeah. would have meant for the overall legacy, it would have been a very poetic end. Um, and, and I think it, it helps further clarify like why he was so frustrated at the end of last year, because now you look at how things are playing out now and it's just a, a total polar opposite in, in terms of perception. Um, yep. So it's, it's kind of an unfortunate story for him, but I will say he's been downtrodden before and stormed back with a vengeance. I think it's just a question of, can he get that right motivation? And, and you hear Rosberg now a little bit kind of like casting doubt whether or not that's possible. Toto needed to Toto needed to say those things as a bit of a pep talk for Hamilton to like bring him up a little bit. So it, it's a question of if, if Hamilton will kind of see that macro narrative and let that get him down or whether he'll be hyper-focused and, and have the team work. Rosberg, first off, Rosberg can stick to his YouTube channel. I, I'm in one ear, out the other on the broadcast. That guy's just trying to watch the world burn. And I thought it was entertaining initially, but I'm like not into it now, just to be completely honest with you. Also, wherever he was sitting for his commentary, he was like on AirPods, like on a bad like cellular connection for that entire broadcast. I'm like, dude, like we couldn't set you up with something. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm not sure how they're trying to utilize him right now. Like, is he a part of the production team or is he just like dialed in casually? Like, yeah, know. tell it what is his role here. But but I'm sorry, the last point I want to make here before we move on is Oh, we were gonna is, do that at some point. I mean, we we've <laughs> we've had so few opportunities to just relish the moment uh, here for Mercedes. I, I think we gave we gave Stroll right. and Aston Martin their dunk, due last week. Dunk away. Dunk away. Well, it's not even a dunk as it is a, a discussion topic, which is, you know, the, the new drivers coming in, like, what is it really? And that that kind of creates that ability of these new guys to come in and dominate these seasoned people in in on a given team. And I guess the take has to be, like, I mean, my view is you're in a worse car having to squeeze that thing for every ounce of performance. And so you're real, you have to get more acclimated to finding the true limit of the car versus finding what could be the occasional limit of the car when you have to push because you have an outlap that you have to maintain your first place position on coming out of the pits. But like beyond that, you have a cushion with the car where you're not really having to drive to the limit. And I think you see drivers like Hamilton, like, is it because the Mercedes was so good that he he lost a little bit of that fine touch or not? Like what, how do you explain these new guys being able to come in and, and usurp their world championship winning, you know, more tenured peers? I have two theories on this and I don't think, I can prove whether either of them holds any water whatsoever, but I'm going to try and make the arguments in the most convincing manner fashion. Or fashion that hasn't, possible. that hasn't stopped us before. Yeah, this is how I've literally gotten every promotion at my job uh, is <laughs> just projecting confidence in the absence of any facts. So my first, uh, my first guess is that it, so a lot of times when you have this argument, old drivers versus young drivers, people are like, Oh, when you get old, your reaction times diminish. I've not ever seen any science to support that. So I think it has more to do with, no, no, no. I think it has more to do with. 
We, I think, no, to be fair, we also have never gone out and actually looked for the science. But if I right. were to guess, Put that the aside. science doesn't say that. I, what I think is more likely is that driving styles are acquired habits, and habits are hard to break. Hmm. And when cars change, younger drivers are inherently more adaptable, i.e. more impressionable on driving hmm. style. And so while Lewis clearly had the best car over many years, he also had the same style of car. And if that has significantly changed, I think it's probably predictably harder for him to break those habits. That's why I think what Fernando Alonso is doing is so impressive. And it's not because, like, to maintain your pace, you have to maintain your adaptability. It's one thing at one stage in your career to have figured out how to be fast in a fast car. It's completely different to figure out how to do it again in a different car 10 years later. That requires a different braking strategy that has a different oversteer understeer tendency. Like adaptability is so hard. And when you've been with the same team for that many years, I would imagine that gets harder. I'm not saying it can't be done, but like muscle memory is a thing. The second thing is I would have to imagine that the team is also changing and the types of data that drivers are fed in order to try and improve themselves is also evolving and being innovated upon. And so I think that there is a, like people used to say about Seb when he came into Formula One that he was very data-driven and like a very much a nerd, like at an unusual level relative to his peers in F1. That's probably not true of Seb anymore in terms of the amount of data he's able to intake because the type of data and the way the team's constructed has probably totally changed. And so the way that the driver communicates with the system also evolves. And I think you can get out of touch as a driver based on the system you were used to operating in. Those are my two theories. What do you think? Was that well, convincing? And, and to the <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sold. Yeah, I'm a I'm a true believer now. Well done. Um, well, and to your point of adaptability, you know, in Hamilton's case, with one team, one system, etc. Like he's still in that system, but has now had to go through an adaptation of basically being in a new car. Whereas it is kind yeah. of the advantage you see of these drivers, like a science, for example, of every two years, let's say, going to a new car you're constantly having to like grow and learn. Um, and so I think it was probably good practice for those drivers coming in. Certain of like the top tier drivers are, are just, you know, capable of doing that better than others. But, but yeah, no, I think, I think that makes sense. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. All right. We got to move on. I, I got to move us on. Red, we got two more teams to cover Red Bull. Uh, let's go there first. I would just overall summarize this as a storybook weekend. The the kind of headline of the of the weekend is that they've scored more points in one single weekend. Obviously, this is a byproduct of the sprint weekend, but more points in one weekend than ever before in F1 history in terms of the cumulative total between sprint and race with the 1-2. So uh, couldn't have had a better start, maintained it throughout the race. Perez had a couple of hiccups, but otherwise, I mean, couldn't have read a better script. What were your What were your takeaways? I mean, I think you, I think you nailed it, and and this was a, a case of the true grand slam, um, being no driver uh, today. Throw that out the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and to be fair, the real true one was to lead the race from from start to finish. I don't think it was fastest fastest lap. That's always, I guess, the the cherry on the top. But um, but I mean, yeah, uh, pole position, sprint race, race win fastest lap led start to finish. I mean, it was all, all worked out for uh, Verstappen. And then despite a, a bad qualifying in uh, starting in, uh, I guess, P7 in the sprint race for Perez. It was a bit unlucky. 
Yep. Unlucky with the Q3, had a dirty first lap and then didn't get another, you know, really another good shot after that. But, um, you know, recovered during the sprint up to third, was able to pass Leclerc out of the gate. So great start. Um, I, I think, yeah, just, just seeing Perez put it all together and being able to hold pace with Verstappen largely. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And, and yeah, I just love Perez's attitude. I love his driver radio as well. Like he is genuinely like sitting there trying to learn from the engineers every time yeah. they come on the radio and He's like humble, genuinely dude. super humble. Um, and you learn more listening to his team radio than maybe anyone else's. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, this is good to finally see the team just put the pieces together and, and not have max sort of shelved on, on reliability. So, uh, um, yeah. this was while we were sort of doom and gloom last weekend, um, you know, this, this was exactly the weekend Red Bull needed to, to keep themselves within the driver's championship. And they are neck and neck now with Ferrari um, in constructors. People that are new to the sport, you may have seen the trajectory of Ferrari up till last weekend. And it may tempt you to believe that people are going to run away with things, you know, drivers or constructors wise. But th- th- these things can flip on a dime. And this is just the proof of that. It takes literally one rain race, one bad reliability weekend, two teammates coming together. Like this stuff happens all the time. And it could easily cut against Red Bull again in the other direction literally next like two weeks from now, hundred percent could happen. But um, the overall trajectory, right? They basically came in. What I'm aware of is they came in with a slight weight reduction in the car and some minor improvements. Cause I think they were betting a lot of teams kind of threw out their upgrade packages. I think when the weather started to sour coming up like the week before Red Bull sounds like they kind of stuck to their guns a little bit in anticipation that the, either the sprint race or the regular race might be dry and they were kind of right. And I mean, look, I mean, performance gains were were noticeable. I mean, even, you know, if it weren't for a couple missteps by Perez, he was building a gap with Leclerc on arguably the same tire strategy. And, you know, if you if you can if Perez has better race pace than Leclerc, then you know Verstappen's gonna be down the road. So, you know, I it's hard to look at where they're headed right now and not really give them a nod as like a real I mean for, who knows? For, what the hell are we talking about? Ferrari's going to throw out some upgrades probably in two weeks, and it's going to flip the other way. This is going to be a close race, but Red Bull definitely, definitely had the weekend they needed. So, I mean, yeah, we we both had them at the at the top as like the lead constructor. Um, and to your point, things can change a lot, but this is what they needed to stay close because if they had one or two other weekends like the first three, y- you do start to put a pretty insurmountable gap, particularly in the drivers championship because the constructors you kind of get balanced out because of your the two drivers and the the ability of both to get points throughout or or but but yeah this is this is kind of a saving grace for them i mean it would have been good if if they had positioned as they did even if the ferraris finished up front but to to simultaneously have both ferraris sort of underperform um yeah they couldn't be happier this weekend all right let's get on to the tears of the tifosi uh i I don't think you could have a worse performance on your home court in terms of a combination of misfortune and also driver error. Um, There is no damage control. It was as bad as I think we could have possibly gotten for Ferrari. Imagine you're a little boy, buy a ticket. Your dad bought you a ticket to the race. It's your first time seeing Ferrari in person. They're actually good this year. And then literally from the opening gun, it's nothing but sadness. Um yeah. What were your thoughts, Gerald? A lot to talk about with Ferrari. Oh, I, I thought you were going to keep going. I, I know you've been looking to forward to this all 
all night. So I, I thought you had more in the tank, but um, I mean, yeah, I, I think not a good recovery weekend for signs. I mean, the, the contact in the race that ultimately led to his DNF, you, you can say really wasn't his fault. It was largely on Ricardo pushing wide, but that being said, I mean, he still had a crash in, in Q2, you know, on a second push lap, despite having the second fastest time in qualifying still. Yeah. And so just silly mistakes on his part. Um, and, and so you can't say he's totally faultless in this weekend, but, you know, he was able to move up from Q10 to, to fourth in the sprint uh, and, and unfortunately have all that go by the wayside with, with contact from Ricardo. So um, and then with Leclerc spinning out, honestly, I think that was probably signs was the, the biggest winner in that. I mean, the weekend goes from Leclerc putting it, on, and it lo- putting it in third place and you having crashed in qualifying and crashed in the race to, well, now you crashed, but it really wasn't your fault. And Leclerc crashed and it was a hundred percent his fault. And so he only got six. Like you kind of taken a big sigh of release relief here that you didn't drop another 15 points to Leclerc. Classic Leclerc, like as soon as he gets a glimpse of daylight, he just like forgets a chicane is there and dune buggies his car off of a curb. Like, I mean, that was that was bad. Like that was a mint that was a lapse of judgment. It's totally on him. He had nothing to gain, everything to lose. He was not gonna get around Perez on those tires. Ew, man. That one that one made you cringe. Worse than for me, the Ricardo signs collision, because I'm gonna be honest, I Usually when they say that something's being investigated on the broadcast, they it takes a while, right? But it seemed like they said it was being investigated, and then immediately it was like, oh, it's a racing incident. And I was like, didn't Ricardo just like come skipping off of a curb and take out signs like when he completely had lost the corner? Like that one to me, I actually had a little bit of sympathy for. I, I agree with you. He was mostly he mostly just effed up throughout the whole weekend, and it was a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Uh, but that one I was I put it firmly at the at the feet of Ricardo, to be honest. And I heard that Ricardo was seen walking into the Ferrari hospitality tent after the race, and I can't imagine he was going to get Tierra Masseuse. So I think he was probably apologizing. Yeah, he he acknowledged after the fact while he while on his radio he thought he got hit. Ultimately, like realized he wasn't apologized. Yeah. So I mean, good sportsmanship between them. Look, could signs have given him a little bit more room, knowing how slippery the the curbs were? Like I guess, I mean, maybe. but but not, not much. And so, but I mean, I, now I have to say I, early on, we, we were given Leclerc some fire for sort of being the, the random sort of one-off mistake guy. Uh, so feel a little bit vindicated that this I weekend vindicated. under pressure, you know, he was starting to run away with things and seem untouchable, but you know, a little bit of pressure, unable to get by Perez trying to push, now, it was fascinating watching the driver cams because Perez would pull away through most of the lap. He would definitely like pull away on the home straight, even when Leclerc had DRS. Like, it was just never enough for Leclerc to close the gap. But on that chicane where he where he ultimately crashed, there were several laps where he would take like half a second half out, a second. just yeah. close just close the entire gap up on on Perez and position himself for the home straight yeah he got and too I think greedy. he just he got too greedy got too comfortable with that and one of those he just wasn't planted well enough and and lost it and so I don't think it was like anything too dramatic that he did on that turn but he was just he was playing a high risk move enough times and and it finally caught up with him I will give him credit though he owned it right he uh, he owned it in the post 
post-race, he went and sought, talked to the media. He wasn't like unapproachable about it. I, so, you know, I got a lot of respect for that. I, do I think Max would handle himself the same way in the same situation? Definitely not. Uh, he'd probably send Helmet Marco to the press conference in his place, and then Helmet would say something racist and or predatorial about multiple people standing around him, and <laughs> they'd have to cut the feed. So, <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, Leclerc is is far harder on himself than, than anyone else. I mean, he was just like punching yeah. himself in the head He's on like the track pu- still. Pull, pulling eyelashes out. <laughs> Stu, yeah. <laughs> you don't deserve these be- these perfectly crafted eyelashes. <laughs> Shame on you, Sean. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. All right. Do we have anything else to say about Ferrari? We should probably... We're, we're like... This is... We're way over time. So, man, we should probably move on to talking about... Uh, maybe we cover Miami and then bounce. But, well, we got a couple other things. But let's quickly recap. Who's on your personal podium? Who's your DNF of the week? Let's do both at the same time. Uh, personal podium. Top has to be Sonoda. Great performance. No issues. Finally was able to see what he got to do on a track and a wet one at this. And he didn't disappoint. Otherwise, I would have to give it to Vettel and Aston Martin. They got all the smoke last week, and and I think they were feeling it, and they had a turnaround weekend, so props to them for getting on the points and pulling themselves out of last place. Who did you uh, have at the top? My personal podium was Russell, for obvious reasons. Albon, I think also for obvious reasons. I think even on a relative teammate performance basis, he's almost outperforming Latifi more than Russell was, which is like it's pretty impressive. Uh, and I'm going to throw in a dark horse for number three, which is Andreas Seidel, who, Whoa. you know, at the team principal's dinner gets the invite. They He and Zach Brown have this kind of like management by committee style where they both get to be in front of the media and they both get invited to the dinners. I'm assuming he's the one that took Mike Crack's seat at Aston Martin. They were like, yeah, we'd much rather have Andreas Seidel and like Mike Crack's nowhere to be found. Um, but yeah, good for him, man. He gets a little <laughs> bit of the limelight, gets the dinner, but doesn't get all the blame. I think he's in a great spot. Nice. All right, on the other side, DNF of the week. Who do you got? Uh, I'm going to say Gasly because I think it was absolutely inexcusable. He couldn't ever take Albon without DRS. And given what his teammate was doing, it wasn't about the car. That one to me was one of the biggest head scratchers of the race. Even Honestly, probably even more so than Hamilton. Which for my DNF of the week was Hamilton. Uh, really... Similar spot, no surprises. Uh, it looked like you know Albon this week was the the DNF of the week creator. So uh, yep. yeah, we'll see we'll see where these guys go from there. All right, Gerald. Track preview: two weeks from now, we go to the 2022 Miami Grand Prix. Uh, first time ever, land of the Cubanos and cocaine. Uh, unfortunately the track is not in the city of Miami itself, but it's basically up in a parking lot surrounding the Dolphins stadium. But nonetheless, we're in the land of the free home of the brave. So that's something. Tell us about the track. Tell us what we have to look forward to in two weeks in Miami. Yeah. So Miami it's, uh, wraps around the hard rock stadium, three, just shy of three and a half miles counterclockwise. Um, and should have a time somewhere in the ballpark of minute and a half, maybe a little bit over. Um, in terms of news about the track, there was all sorts of intrigue into the quote-unquote innovative um, surface material that has been used, some blend of local lime rock and Georgia State granite. Um, 
I, I read a lot about it and I sh- can't tell you a damn thing about what it means. Um, <laughs> Look, I can do I can do the tires, right? But tires and asphalt, I just it's just too much domain for one man. <laughs> Dude, nobody asked you about the pavement. You're just <laughs> freaking out about it. I feel like I feel like this has really been boiling over for weeks. And I'm sorry, but please continue. I just knew I, I was just carrying this weight that I was to bring the the knowledge to the people on this subject. And this I just don't have it. Literally the epitome of one of those. Nobody asked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but look, it, it seems like it'll be interesting. It, overall. I really like the way the, the track is designed. I think some of the early like virtual onboard laps look really cool. It kind of has a, uh, a Jetta feel, right? A lot of like high speed turns. Uh, I mean, it's just like all of Florida, it's a hundred percent flat. So, I mean, similar to a lot of like the newer desert courses, unlike Imola, where you see all this cool, like topography change and really all of the sort of old world courses. Um, it, it's a little bland from that perspective. So no cambered turns. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be new pavement. So, you know, of course, you're going to hear all sorts about... I was just trying to give you the the preview because it is going to be a hot topic of discussion come race day. So check out that Lime Rock. It'll be the, the key. But um, yeah, you're going to hear all about the greening of the track. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think given the speed, given the high speed nature of the corners, it has two incredibly long straights, what, what it seems like relative to the rest of the track. So yep. I have to think this is squarely in a the pro red bull camp at this point so I, i'm thinking it's a strong strong max finish and hopefully Perez up there as well i'm i'm a little bit i agree i think the track's gonna be interesting i think it's gonna be suited to red bull um i love tracks where you have those high speed kind of consecutive chicanes where you're oscillating between like fifth and seventh gear you're never full revving it you're on the limit like turn after turn one way or the other jet is a little bit like that there's that section in the uh, second sector of the Circuit of the Americas that's like that. Mexico has a chicane section that's like that. Um, And it just, it's, I mean, you know, coming from somebody who's experienced these turns in their living room, I think that they're very, very difficult to drive and I think can make for for great racing, especially now that, you know, a car is going to be able to stick its nose into the back of a car in front of it and sit behind it and still have traction through those types of high-speed turns. I think it could be super compelling because this will be the first. Well, Jetta was a good example, so I think we'll get a lot of a lot of good racing out of it. Um, yeah, I tell one, you what, I'm. Well, go ahead. One other interesting design, though, is it, is it seems like the the finish straight is relatively like short from yeah. the from the starting Relative line, to the back and so straight. yeah, I, I think fortunately you'll get you won't get a lot of crazy accidents going into turn one. I think it'll be relatively civil going into turn one might be following out of that, that, that things um, get a little sideways, but at, at least you won't get, I don't think the the crazy turn one chaos at, that you get at some other tracks. I'm going to tell you what I am worried about most though. And I, mm. this is my, this is my prop bet for the weekend. I think coming out of the race weekend, the fan experience, we're going to hear like a lot of like fire fest vibes. Because if you look at like the Instagram account for the Miami GP like a month ago, I don't know what was built. They have all of these like plans for club sections and all these grandstands and all these fan experiences and fancy swimming pools around the track. 
First off, I thought we were racing in a parking lot, so where the hell is that stuff getting built? And second off, how the hell are you building it in like two months? I think they're going to be... show up to an empty parking lot, and there's going to be some some dolphin season ticket hawkers throwing loaves of white bread <laughs> out to people <laughs> near the barriers. It's just like classic Florida above ground pools oh. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Miami's finest, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I, that's my prediction. I think the fan experience, like. The PR isn't going to reflect it, but I think that the Twitter chatter following the race is going to be like, you guys maybe should have given yourself a couple more months of lead time. So, well, and if I if I have to be honest and and be objective here as an American, while you might think the Tifosi are an obnoxious fan base, I just I can't imagine the the people in attendance at the Miami Grand Prix. Oh, it is God. probably just going to be the most horrific mix of people imaginable <laughs> <laughs> like i That's i just, true. i would yeah. stay a thousand miles away from from miami that weekend yeah yeah it's gonna a lot of people are gonna crawl out of the everglades for that one so i mean if you're if you're not accustomed to tuning into the race a little bit early to see the grid walk and just the randos that they talked about there <laughs> i i can guarantee you're gonna just see you know the porn kings of Florida and just like every like used yacht salesman in a linen shirt down there on the gridwalk. It's uh, it's going to be a quite a cast of characters. Oh man. All right. Um, all right. I got to go cook some pancakes. We've, we've gone way too long. <laughs> all right, man. Enjoy the flapjacks. See y'all, all y'all next right. week. See you guys.